what would be one of the classic passages on sacrifice? And I mean, within about 48 hours, God had already spoken and said, hey, I want you to teach on Abraham and the sacrifice that Abraham made with his son Isaac. And so Genesis 22, and what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to go back to Genesis 21 and read verse 33 and 34, and then we're going to read through chapter 22. Now, as I read through it, I may almost uh, make some comments like a commentary style. Um, this is just one of the ways I love to read God's Word, and just a lot of times people are looking for the deep stuff in there, and most of the time the deep stuff in there is really not that deep. It's just we skip over it sometimes because we read too quickly. So in Genesis 21, listen to verses 33 and 34. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. Why a tamarisk tree, by the way? I thought, what in the world is that tree? And basically, uh, that tree is a tree that has a multitude of branches that come off on it. And so Abraham had just been through a, a, a bunch of trials and he'd really messed up bad. I mean, in one case, he kind of passed off his wife as his sister so he wouldn't lose his life. I mean, you ever do anything dumb in Jesus' name? Got a t-shirt, celebrate it, and you survived it. But it was really a stupid decision. God bailed you out anyway. That's what Abraham just went through. It was one of those real dumb moments. You know, I could have had a V8 moment or something like that. Abraham had messed up, but God had stepped back into his life. And even in the midst of a mess, Abraham decided to uh, honor the Lord and uh, reclaim the vision. I mean, man, he has had to send uh, um, Ishmael off. I mean, it's just been, you know, it's been a mess. I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they got... Uh, Got, you know, Hagar mixed up. It was just an absolute disaster. So aren't you glad, by the way, that Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. He didn't say, Come to me, everybody's got their act together, and I'll give you rest. No, he said, Y'all that have messed up. You've messed up. Uh, you come to me, I'll give you rest. So Abraham has planted this tree, and there called on the name of the Lord. The everlasting God. And now, don't miss 34, because if not, we'll read it. And the Bible didn't put in words to take up space or make a good story. There's always an emphasis behind it. So listen to what he says. And Abraham stayed in the land of, uh-oh, radar up. Only one land uh, worse than Egypt, the Philistines. And man, what a heritage they have with Israel. And he stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. You understand? You don't belong in the land of the Philistines. Children of God don't. You don't belong in the land of Egypt. And so God walked right into his mess where he had messed up bad, forgave him, let him know, Abraham, I love you. I'm not going to leave you, man. Uh, the promises I made to you of uh, having a heritage that would live forever. And so by a little simple act of faith, he plants this tree with all of these branches to say, God, I still believe. I don't know if you can use me or not. But I still believe. And it's in a place where he doesn't even belong that God comes to him with one of the greatest tests that I think anybody would ever have to do. And that's what God is going to ask him to do, to sacrifice his only son upon an altar. The son whom he has the promise of, the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea for descendants. And so chapter 22, verse 1, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and, and said to him, and he said, here I am. Uh, it's a 
key phrase. Three times he'll say it in this chapter. By the way, if the Lord speaks to you today, I I pray that you'll say, here I am. Here I am, Lord. And so that's my goal and my prayer for you. And then he said, now take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose, went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder. I like he's got to be from southern Kentucky. From yonder. And uh, we'll worship. And we will come back to you. So Abraham took the word of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac uh, wasn't being a dummy. He starts putting two and two together. And he says, uh, Dad. Um, and Abraham responded, by the way, the same way. Here I am. And he said, Dad, uh, I got it figured out. We got the wood. We got the fire. But where, where is the lamb? Where is the, the sacrifice or burnt offering? And the significance of the burnt offering. Most of the Jews believed that this was the very spot where the temple would be. That the, he did this burnt offering where they, uh, Solomon constructed the temple. And they offered burnt offerings to the Lord right there. Whether it is or not, Abraham made this famous statement, my son. Uh, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them uh, went together. You see, it's God's um, requirement to provide the sacrifice. My job is just be willing to be a vessel he can use for the sacrifice. And so uh, then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there placed the wood in order, he bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar upon the wood, and Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and here's his response again. So uh, he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay uh, your hands on your lad, on the lad, and do not anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, uh, behind him there was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. And Abraham went and took the offering and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham for a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and you've not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men And they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Let's pray just a moment. Lord, my my prayer today is a, a very simple one. It's found in your word, and it says, Speak, Lord, for your servants, they're listening.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, in your notes, uh, I want to walk through and teach a little bit on this. So we're going to fill in some blanks. And I don't use a computer to be cool or nothing like that. This is like a glorified word processor for me because I am technologically impaired. But what's really cool is you can blow this up to like 40 font and see it. You know, and as uh, the title senior pastor used to be really cool till now that I'm a senior pastor and it's not cool anymore. So that's why I try to do. But I want to talk about sacrifice and uh, stewardship and especially spiritual growth. So there's three comments we'll make right up front. First of all, there is no success without sacrifice. There is none. Secondly, if you succeed without sacrifice then it's because someone else who went before has made the sacrifice. If you sacrifice and don't see success, then someone who follows will reap success from your sacrifice. i, I just give you a primary example. Uh, I know Dean Folks is having a groundbreaking today with LifePoint Church to build a new facility. I can remember in our old building, and we began to do a stewardship campaign down there because we were growing at a rapid pace and we weren't even really at that time thinking about relocating but we knew we were going to have to we were in three services at 8 9 30 and 11 with three sunday schools and we had zero we parked cars in other places and shuttled people over it was an absolute zoo and that's nothing to brag about doing three services that's just hard work period and, uh, but we knew we had to do this. And I'm telling you, our people, we had a congregation at that time about 400, 450. And they sacrificed in a two-year period and gave a million and a half dollars so that we could begin to look to move. And listen, overwhelming majority of those people were not even alive when we actually made the move. They had already departed and gone on to heaven. There were senior saints. My mom was one of them. These are folks that sacrificed and now the people at uh, 2688 Drake Road are reaping all the benefits of it and a good chunk of the people that gave the first million and a half dollars to get out there didn't even get to stand in the building. But they sacrificed so that others might come and they might hear. So that's the principle of sacrifice, but there is no success without it. So let's do seven observations. They're all from this text. And let's learn, because i, I got to do this quickly, because I want to um, keep my time and all those good things. But first observation, number one, God prepares us for times of struggle and sacrifice. He prepares us. Verse 1 walks right in, and, and um, now it came to pass after these things that God tested him. See, aren't you glad that there's a statement after these things? That you can mess up. You can do some really dumb things. When I was 25 years of age, uh, I was never on staff, was really never even called to preach. I was a youth pastor and volunteering my wife. And honest to goodness, uh, we, we came into church one day and, you know, you go to church to have a church service and there's a WWF wrestling event that takes place and the church just kind of splits. And I walked out of church at age 25 and said, if this church, who needs this? And I didn't go to anybody's church for the next four and a half years. Nearly lost my home, nearly lost my marriage because of it. Because I got my eyes on people instead of having my eyes on Jesus. And I'm so glad that God wrote a little chapter and he says, After these things. 
what things? After God had restored him, he had built by faith a tamarisk tree and planted it there. Now he's going to build an altar to the Lord. There's an after these things moment. But God prepares us. Sometimes he prepares us through some of the trials that we cause. Sometimes he prepares us through the trials that other people cause. Sometimes God just reaches down and decides to pick on you. You understand the, the, the potter has the right to pick on the clay. And uh, i.e. Job. Job didn't know he was in the book of Job. Job was just minding his own business. God picked him out of a crowd to pick on him to test him. And today we're still talking about what? The faith of Job. So God prepares us. And so uh, in this thing, I wrote this question for you. What is the difference between God's testing and Satan's tempting? All right? First bullet point, when Satan tempts us, he wants us to fail. That's it. But when God tests us to strengthen us, Satan will test us to destroy us. So Satan tempts us so that we'll fail. God tests us to strengthen us, but Satan always tempts us to destroy us. Remember, his plan has not changed since the Garden of Eden. His plan is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And it's been working well since the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. So he hasn't changed his strategy very much. But it's in the midst of these trials, these tests, that God propels our spiritual growth and he uses us in an extraordinary way. Number two, our love for God needs to be proven. When we start doing this thing of sacrifice and stewardship and spiritual growth, God's going to test us. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's only one scripture in all of the Bible that God tells us to test him on. You remember what it is? Malachi chapter 3. God said uh, through Malachi, listen, test me on this. Bring your tithes and your offerings to the storehouse and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you can't contain. Okay? But it has to be proven. So in your notes, sacrifice is a visual display of your spiritual growth. It's a visual faith display of spiritual growth where others can see it. See, His presence in my life makes a visible difference in my lifestyle and in the choices that I make. See, when I walk into a place to speak and I walk into a place uh, of, of a church service, uh, when, when I came in the door today, you could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit here. And that's not some spiritualization of a term, Rich, you're in churches all the time, and I'm in churches during the week preaching and trying to teach, and I can tell you, I can walk into churches that it's an iceberg walking in there. And it's like, oh, my Lord in heaven, what is the problem here? And so when I do that, I walk in and I take people back to Calvary. I take them back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So before I ever teach, I give an invitation for us to get right with God. I didn't feel that today. I could sense the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's just kind of a cool thing. But when that happens, His presence makes a visible difference. See, one day, you're, you're going to have to move from where you're at right here. You're not going to be able to put everybody in here. Uh, that's why if, if your chairs fill up, go find four or five more and stick them out there somewhere so people will know we exist to fill the empty chair. All right? So understand, that's what's going to happen. Get ready for it. What's going to mess you up? Some Sunday you're going to come in and somebody's sitting in your chair. 
and a testing of the faith is going to take place. And you got to sit in a different spot. Man, it's just going to mess you up. It does Baptist all the time. He's testing you to prove your faith in him. Number three, everybody okay? Look at your neighbor and go, this is really good. We're going to learn today. At least make me feel like it's good, okay? All right, I love my preaching, so if you don't, it's okay. Number three, <laughs> sacrifice is giving up something precious in order to get something more precious. The reason we like to hang on to the familiar because we're familiar and it's very comfortable. But when I sacrifice, God says, listen, I've got something better. I'm waiting to bless you with it when you sacrifice. Now, I'm not a health, wealth, prosperity guy. I just absolutely abhor that movement. But here's what I do know. You can't outgive God, period. And when he says, I want you to sacrifice and I want you to give something up because I've got something better for you. Oh, trust me, please give it up. Please give it up. Man, in the New Testament, there's a classic confrontation between Jesus and a rich, young ruler. Did you get that? Rich, young ruler. I mean, he's got options. I mean, his outlook is great. He's, he's got everything in front of him. I mean, there's no obstacles that you can see. And Jesus looks at this kid after they go through this discussion and said, Listen, here's what you're missing, son. Go out and sell everything you've got. Give it to poor Come and follow me. Now, I've heard actually people say that Jesus was rough on the guy. If you think Jesus was rough on him, it's because you still think your stuff is your stuff. And if you couldn't stand up and say, Yes, Lord, have mercy. Give it up, son. Go follow Jesus. That's the difference between understanding sacrifice, stewardship, and then spiritual growth. It's to step out by faith and say, Yep, I'll follow him. Uh, it's fish and chips day. Everybody likes fish and chips day in the New Testament. I mean, Jesus gets a little, it wasn't Southern Baptist boy because he never got his lunch, but he got a little boy's lunch and he, all of a sudden he's just feeding multitudes of people with it. And he got 12 baskets left over and you realize the reason he's got 12, he's got 12 disciples that I believe Jesus took a basket and walked up to each one of them and said, now Pete, don't ever doubt me again. Took another basket to James, James or um, um John, John, don't ever doubt me again. And he went to every disciple and said that next day, everybody shows back up. I mean, we had fish and chips the day before. What's on the menu? Here was Jesus. Whoever wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. And see, there's always sacrifice involved with stewardship and spiritual growth. Deny yourself. Take up a cross. Doesn't mean anything to us today. I mean, we wear crosses around our neck. We wear cross earrings, everything else. Uh, it, it's the equivalent to wearing like a little electric chair around your neck or on your ears or a, a hangman's noose. See, it doesn't mean anything to us, but in that day, no one picked up a cross and brought it back. When you picked up a cross in the Roman world, you died on that cross. And Jesus said, listen, come follow me. Be willing to die. Be willing to sacrifice. Man, oh man. Let's dive in. I got a lot of stuff. In the notes. Sacrifice causes us to choose what is most important in life. Next. Sacrifice causes us to choose our priorities. And then finally, if you truly sacrifice, you will have a spiritual encounter with God. That's a given. That's why it's so important for us to understand we give up something precious in order to give up something more precious. Number four. 
Sometimes we don't understand the request of sacrifice. We don't get it sometimes. And we don't always have to. Abraham didn't understand. I'm quite confident because the book of Hebrews tells us he a little behind the scene thing that was going on in his mind. I mean, this is Isaac. Uh, I, I sent my other son away and provided for them and I've got to take my only son, you know, and, and, and Sarah's over 100 now. So uh, um, she's not going to bear any more children. And so God, what's up here? See, sometimes God asks us to do stuff. doesn't make sense sometimes. But when we obey, we begin to have that spiritual encounter with Almighty God. In the Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live for Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Um, in your notes, if you remember anything that I say today, you might want to even star this. This is not a story about the death of Isaac. This is a story about the death of Abraham. And Abraham had to die to self. In the New Testament, Paul would put it like this in one of the more famous verses, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know what the neat part about that verse is? There's no verbs in that verse. Here's what he said, to live Christ, to die gain. You don't have to put any verb with Christ. To live Christ. There's nothing else required but Christ. And to die will be absolute gain. To live is Christ. Number five, faith can be exercised even when we don't understand. Hebrews 11 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, and Isaac shall they, thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abe just said, listen, uh, God's promised that Isaac is going to be my son through whom the inheritance is going to come. If God kills him, he has to raise him from the dead. That's what he put two and two together. Accounting, that's, that's you know what accounting is? It's putting together a, a debit and credit sheet. And, and on one side, what happens if I do? And on the other side, what happens if I don't? And over here, God is much more able to provide. And so he trusts him. Sometimes when we go to give sacrificially, we look at our checkbook, we look at our income, our outcome, and all of a sudden God says, give this amount. And it's like, no, that don't fit anywhere. That's why it's called a faith gift. God, if you provide it, I will give it. And you take that step that leap of faith. Now, number six, for the journey to have significance, there must be sacrifice. And this is a journey. Again, I'm teaching a little bit and then I want to get to where I want to get to. So in your notes, the degree of sacrifice determines the degree of success. And the degree of sacrifice determines the degree of spiritual growth. And then number seven, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the blessings. These are simple principles, but man, they're found in God's word. I mean, these blessings, I, I put down here, there are three blessings that result because of sacrifice. And I want to talk about both of them, all three of them real quickly, and I'm going to get real personal here. If I cry a little bit, it's okay. 
when I start talking about how God, good God has been, uh, sometimes I, I cry a little bit. My granddaddy told me years ago, if my eyes leaked every now and then, my head wouldn't swell so bad. So I learned to cry a little bit on the journey. But I tell you, when God shows up, friend, um, it's something to worship and rejoice when God shows up. See, you, you get in, first of all, you get the blessing of God's timing. Um, years ago, uh, June 3rd, 1987, uh, while we were on vacation in Florida, a gentleman came across the interstate and hit our family head on. Uh, from that in December, just a week prior to Christmas, I had my 41st surgery through that. Uh, my fourth left hip replacement and bone graft in the pelvis and all those fun things that you have to go through. Um, I, I'll take you back to uh, January of 1988. Uh, like most people in that day, Donna and I were young and dumb, had two little ankle biters running around, and like everybody else lived paycheck to paycheck. Can I get a witness? Uh, I didn't have to worry about a portfolio on that day because I didn't even have a port, so I didn't have to worry about it. So understand, we live paycheck to paycheck, and all of a sudden, um, I'm 61, 62 days in Tampa General Hospital in Florida. Uh, my wife's got a broke back and colostomy and broken hand, and she goes home after about 11, 12 days, something like that, maybe 14 days. Uh, my mother and father-in-law flew down, or my mother and sister-in-law uh, flew down to Florida to pick up our two little girls and take them home after three or four days in the hospital and surgery. And um, fast forward to January of 1988. I had an insurance policy where I worked through disability. I got 65% of my pay for six months. And after that, got nothing. And it's January, and uh, I'm in a wheelchair and uh, I've had surgery again. I had surgery every three months for the first three and a half to four years. And uh, something fall off, they'd put it back on, things of that nature. Screwed come loose, they'd have to take it out. And that's, I, that is true, by the way. I mean, I always tell everybody it gives a whole new meaning to having a screw loose. I can tell you that much. I'm sitting there. We've got $7.53 in our checking account. And I'm sitting in my living room crying and going, all right, God, Laying on a floorboard of a car, you told me that if I'd trust you, you'd use me. And God, I promise to trust you. Donna comes in, brings the mail in, says, hey, you got a letter from McDonald's. I was a supervisor with McDonald's Corporation. And opened it up, and my boss had put a note in there, knowing I would never be back to work for him. Hey, Tom, I thought you could use your vacation pay for 1988. I just forwarded it to you. It was about $6,000. See, when God shows up with the law of timing, it takes a long, you don't ever get over that. And so I just want to encourage you, when you're going to sacrifice for the big gift, you can trust him. I could tell you story after story after story how God came through. Because there's one of the great promises of the Old Testament. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never seen his seed out begging for bread. And I can promise you this much. When God shows up, friend, it's over. See, every worship service I preach, I'm waiting for that moment for God to show up. Because you understand when God shows up, he's not here to take sides. He's here to take over. And that's when you take your shoes off your feet because you're on holy ground. I don't care where you're at. You can be in the living room of your home and open up a letter 
and the, be saturated with the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm excited for you this next year as God steps in and says, listen, you sacrifice. Here's how I just want to bless you because of it. I just want to give you a spiritual blessing. It may not be money, but boy, it may be the peace of God that the Bible says people never understand. Never. So the law of, of the, the timing. And then the blessing then of God's approval. I, boy, I don't even know where to go with that when there's so many examples. I'm out of time, I think. Aaron, where are you at? Am I done? Throw a book at me if I'm done. All right, am I done? All right. Uh, understand the blessing of God's approval. Um, in March of 1987, I'm sitting in a church service. As carnal on God as it could ever be. Six months later, I'd come back to church basically because my youngest daughter went up on a Sunday night and said, Dad, can I stay home with you? It was like a knife went through my back. I said, no, honey, I... I I'm going to go with you tonight. And I always joke when we called 911, revived my wife. <laughs> On the way to church, I gave her the speech. Here's the speech. Honey, I want you to understand, I'm going to go to church, and I'm, I'll sit there, but I'm not doing anything ever again. I'll never sing in church again. I'll never lead young people again. I, I'm done. I just want you to know that. And oh, after sitting there for about six months, on a Sunday night. I, I made my own schedule so I conveniently scheduled myself to work every Sunday morning. I go with my wife on a Sunday night and all of a sudden the pastor says, uh, hey, uh, we're going to have a baptism tonight. Rich, it had been five, six years since I'd seen a baptism. I thought, oh, that's cool. That's cool. You know? And I always crack up at Baptists. I wasn't raised Baptist. I was raised in a charismatic church. And Always cracked me up when I went to the Baptist church because they'd sing, shall we gather at the river and baptize in a hot tub? I never really got that. I, I just never did. Somewhere it just lost its meaning for me, you know. And uh, so I thought, oh, this is cool. And so they, you know, they sang, shall we gather at the river? And Bob uh, Skirvin, uh, who was my pastor for a long, long time at North Fairfield, he, uh, they had curtains over their baptistry. And I thought, well, that's kind of be neat. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden the curtains open. Bob is standing in the water and says, we're, we're going to baptize today. A little seven-year-old boy walked into the baptistry. Man, oh, man, you think this is bad. I couldn't speak for probably an hour or two. And God spoke into my life and said, Tommy, you forgot what it was all about. You walked away from me, and this is what it was all about. Would you come home today? I'll use you if you come home. See, when you walk out and quit, you have this feeling that God won't ever use you again. And when God walks back into your life and says, I think you're low enough right now, Tom, I can use you and get all the credit. And so church service was dismissed. I was walking to the altar to, to lay down in my life again and pray there. My wife's Sunday school class, she had gone four years taking my two little girls to Sunday school. By the way, you know why I'm in church today? Because a godly greeter, an elderly guy, met my wife in the parking lot and helped her get two little girls into church, helped carry the backpack, find Sunday, and did it every 
Sunday for four and a half years. When I got right with God, Aaron, the first guy I wanted to meet was that greeter. To tell him, when you sacrifice time, it makes a difference in people's life. Please hear me. It's worth it. Whatever you do, if you sacrifice your time, your talents, your treasures, it's worth it. Finally, and I'm done, sorry. The blessing then of God's provision is really neat now. To not worry about tomorrow. It really is. Uh, Every decade of my life has brought a different set of of, uh, circumstances and temptations and trials and I'm 63 now and the Everybody's asking the question, when are you going to retire? All those kind of things. When are you going to hang up the towel and everything? And you know, for about a, about a short period of time, I, I, I do dumb things, but thank God they don't last as long as they used to. Can I get a witness? Uh, for about a month, man, I started to panic a little bit. And I'm going, God, I make pretty good money now. Um, am I going to be able to trust you when I'm retired? And, uh, you know, you're living off of what you got in savings, and you're living off these kind of things. And you know, it took about a month for God to slap that silliness out of me and say, when, when, when you couldn't walk, when you couldn't even take care of yourself, you couldn't even clean after yourself, did I not put people in your path to take care of you? He right, reminded me of a godly African-American nurse I had named Mervyn. Mervyn had 11 children. She was one of the most godly nurses I had. She was so funny. When I was dismissed from the the hospital in Tampa General, she came up crying. She said, Tom, you're the craziest white man I've ever met in my life. I'm going to miss you. And Mervyn got me through a lot of times. I'd call down and I'd get stuck. I'd try to turn over in bed and I'd get stuck and I couldn't turn over. I'd call her on the phone. I'd say, Mervyn, I want to turn over. And she'd say, well, go ahead. You could hear her laughing down the hall. But every night, Mervyn walked up and take my hand, and we'd pray together. Tom, you're going to make it. You're going to walk again. God's going to use you. God's always got somebody in your life, if you'll just be looking for it, that when you sacrifice and you say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. See, all God was saying to me on June 3rd, 1987, when I woke up in the floorboard of a car, was this, are you going to trust me? You quit once, are you going to trust me? There have been a couple of times I've thought about quitting again. And every time God brings someone else into my life to say, now it's worth it, don't quit. Can we pray? Father, in Jesus' name, I don't know where these folks are at on their journey with you, but Lord, the journey is sweet. Jesus, when they decide to walk through the trial with you, And the clay worships the potter for who he is. And God, these people have prayed. I know they've been through 40 days of prayer and fasting. They've been praying about what they're going to give. Whether that's one time or weekly or monthly or however they have chosen. Oh God, I pray, do exceedingly abundantly above everything they've ever written down or thought of. And Lord, they may turn a card in today and have to turn in a card next week. Because you've spoken and said, this is what I want you to do. But I pray that you will challenge this group of people. Boy, the testimonies we've already heard, they're 
already touching their community and making a difference in the lives of people that you care about. Lord Jesus, I, I pray, first of all, if there's anyone here today, they don't know you as Savior. Jesus, they've never said yes to you. Maybe they know all about you, but they've never trusted you. I pray in this quiet moment they'd say, Jesus, preacher's right, I need you. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross for me. That you were buried and you rose again. I trust you today, Jesus. Change my life. I want to become your servant. And for Jesus, for those today that have walked away, maybe like I walked away, I pray they know they can come home. They cannot outsend the grace of God. They cannot outsend the cleansing power and the washing of the blood of Jesus in their life. Bring people home today. And Lord Jesus, may this be a great day financially, numerically. Change lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.